following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. There are fabulous moments in life, and especially when we have the opportunity to influence the life of someone else, we like to take those times, but... We have realized that the older that we get, that people are sometimes resistant to uh, our overtures. So if we try to make some kind of move into the life of a person, introduce them to what we believe is most important, that is a relationship with Jesus Christ, sometimes the barriers have uh, are automatically come up because people are used to that kind of approach. Their sales, their sales resistance is incredibly high, especially when it comes to spiritual things. But we do know that as we walk through life that there are moments when people are open to new things and open to introductions of ideas and influence. And we, we like to call those teachable moments. And everybody has them. And no matter how reluctant or tough a person might be, uh, there, is, there are those moments when someone becomes softer and more willing to be open to changes in their own values and choices. And we all see it like in Dickens' Christmas Carol and um, you, get, you get somebody who's a ball humbug kind of guy, and you think nothing could ever move them or melt that heart. But there are moments when they suddenly become more open and almost inviting to those kinds of times. And especially all of us as guys, we see guys all around us who, are, who, who run into those kinds of times and circumstances, make them more pliable. And here are some pictures of guys that probably, if you were to see this and knew the guy that was involved, it could probably be a teachable moment. So, you know, it, it, it is some of the guys do some of the dumbest things, and in the midst of their dumbness, that maybe we can give them some, some stability, and we can teach them uh, just before he falls off of his great invention. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that he'd rather do it this way than get up there with the hand pruners. But uh, uh, he could probably at least be open. And some guys just do stuff because they don't think. And sometimes we can be the one who gives some objectivity to helping them think. That there are some things that are just not bright. And if we can help them to see, well, maybe, maybe, maybe we could think of something else. Or some guys have the inability sometimes to process everything. And so they try to figure out a quick reaction, it's sort of a knee-jerk reaction, and um, we can come alongside and give them some perspective. <laughs> so there are efficient uses of things and probably a little bit better, and because we can kind of see what they're doing, uh, maybe their minds are a little bit abbreviated. Or somebody, somebody gets really creative at a moment, and in those moments of creativity, we can give them some sense that, well, this is probably an experience I've had before, and this is not a good thing to do. Before we even let them start, we just tell them, no, don't do, don't do that. It's just not real, real, you know, it's a good thought, but there are some consequences and some collateral effects that you probably wouldn't be very happy with. So don't, don't do that. Or when guys get very adventuresome and are not thinking and are just so geeked up about a thought, and they don't think about personal safety, maybe we can come along and assist them. <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> he's saying, I, I should have listened to those guys at Warrior's Heart. They probably are a little bit uh, better into this thing. 
Now, these are teachable moments when, when someone is confronted with circumstances that go way beyond human ability. And sometimes in the moment of desperation and need, they are very, very open to something happening in their life that may be beyond what is uh, natural. Maybe they're really open to what is supernatural. It's, it's like that couple who have been married for quite a few years, didn't have any kids. They love kids, and no matter what happened, no matter how they, they thought through things, uh, they just were not blessed with children. And they went to all the best doctors and all the best clinics, and, and they could just could not uh, um, find a way to, to, to have children. So a, as a last desperate effort, they were Catholic. They went to their priest and asked the priest if he could say a special prayer for them. And the priest thought for a moment and says, well, well of course, I'll be happy to do that. In fact, I'm going to be leaving on a sabbatical to Rome, and I'll not only pray for you, but I'll pray for you in Rome, and I'll light a candle for you in Rome as a perpetual prayer before our Lord so that you can be blessed with children. Well, after three years, the priest came back from a sabbatical from Rome. He went to see a number of people. One of them was uh, this couple. And when he got to their home, he was so surprised and pleased when the woman was there, and she was very, very pregnant. And she was not only very, very pregnant, but she was taking care of two sets of twins that had been born during the time when he had been gone. So he's so pleased at the, this obvious result. He played with the kids and caught up with uh, how she was doing and, and asked, uh, well, where's your husband? I'd love to congratulate him. And, of course, she's crazily busy and harried and trying to take care of all these kids in their pregnant stages. Oh, oh, my husband, my husband. Oh, yeah, my husband. He, he went to Rome. And uh, the priest says, well, why did he go to Rome? And she says, well, he went to Rome because he wants to blow out that candle. So there, there are those kinds of times when people are actually open to spiritual things, when circumstances go way beyond the capacity for them to naturally receive those kinds of suggestions. Now, all of us here are guys, and we are very, very prone to try to do things on our own, and not very, very open to seeing what God is going to do to intervene. And uh, if our resistance in that area of watching God intervene and recognizing Him intervene is something that we would all acknowledge as part of our reality and our, our existence. Can you imagine all the other guys that we run across who really don't even have a priority on spiritual things? Their interest in supernatural intervention in their life is, is very, very resistant. And, and yet, at the same time, we don't want to bump up against their moments when they are, have their guards up. But instead, we would love to find a, an opportunity to see God bring them into a set of situations and circumstances where they'll be more open to supernatural intervention of what God could actually do in their life through Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that we want to develop as guys is that ability to watch for those teachable moments, to watch for these guys to be invited into our lives because of those teachable moments of what God has done for us. How do we cross those barricades, and how do we get over those, those boundaries? That's one of the things that we'll be studying in our lesson today. How in the world can we take advantage of teachable moments and nurture those in the lives of other people? And the whole reason that we're doing this is because we're not just really interested in knowing the book of Joshua better for ourselves. We're going to do that for sure. But one of the things we want to do is to make sure that we're always thinking in our, in our minds, how in the world can we impact the city of Houston by the way I live my life among the lives of people that God gives me the privilege to interact with at work and in the neighborhood and wherever I happen to go. 
Well, we're going to turn our attention uh, back to the fourth chapter of the book of Joshua and observe some things here from the standpoint of these teachable moments. So this is what the scripture says in some selected portions here as we focus our attention on this amazing episode. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people. I hope in verse 10 that you don't just look over that and say, well, this is a transition verse. If we consider the idea that these priests were human beings and they're standing in the middle of this river, what in the world was it like to watch two and a half million people cross? And you're thinking to yourself, boy, I sure hope God holds that water up there so we can get our chance to get across. There's always this sense where we as individuals who are waiting for others to do their thing and we're waiting to the end. There's a sense of human doubt and panic that sort of surges in our spirit. These priests are unique human beings because of their belief in Almighty God. Verse 11, As soon as all of them had crossed the ark of the Lord, and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. Now for all of us who've been paying attention very carefully to the details here, we have observed that the only thing God wanted the nation of Israel to do is satisfy the fact that they could not come up with a human solution to get across the river. And for three days they thought of every possibility, but now that they were crossing after God intervened supernaturally, he asked them to only do one thing. Keep your eye on the ark. And so these people, even at this point, were doing exactly what God wanted them to do. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over. These were the ones that could have stayed on the, uh, on, the, on the eastern side of the river, but they crossed over after Joshua reminded them of God's instruction. You can have this land, you can be outside of the promised land, but still you need to fulfill the responsibility of being part of the nation of Israel. And they made that promise. These guys are keeping their promises, even though it was at great risk to their own peril. Armed and in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them, that that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him all the days of his life, just as they had revered Moses. It's really not all about Joshua. It's about how Joshua was God's chosen leader. The presence of God because of the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God through Joshua allowed the nation of Israel to function, live, and advance God's will in their lives because of all these things that are transpiring. Verse 15, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Notice this, this, the, uh, the sequence of things that are here. The Lord said to Joshua, So Joshua commanded the, pe- the people in verse 17, and then verse 18, And the priests came up out of the river. So God spoke to Joshua, Joshua spoke to the people, and the people obeyed. That's the sequence. God spoke to Joshua. Joshua gave the command. The people obeyed what Joshua said. Now for all of us who are here and are men with responsibilities over the lives of other people, that sequence doesn't change. Sequence is the same. God speaks to the person in charge. The person in charge gives the instructions to those who follow. Those who follow obey immediately. So in that sequence, sometimes what really breaks down is not that the people are disobedient. But in that sequence of God speaking to the leader, the leader speaking to the people, the people obeying what the leader says, the sequence is oftentimes broken because of the intimate relationship is broken between God and the appointed leader. And just in case you guys are kind of wondering where in the world arithmetic-wise does that fit, it's us. 
If we don't remain close and intimate to Almighty God, the sequence of God's will for the lives of people that we oversee breaks down. We don't want people that we are over to obey simply because we have eaten something bad for breakfast and we are reacting to our physiological discomfort. We want them to react to us because of our intimate relationship to Almighty God and because we know God intimately and we sense God's will tremendously. That's how we direct in the area of leadership. In the last part of this section here, this is the scripture in verse 20. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? You can see here the breaking down of the resistance to be receptive to supernatural involvement. Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done so to the Red Sea when he dried it up, dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth, not just the nation of Israel, not just the people who lived in Jericho, but also all of us here who live in Houston. All the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord, your God. Well, that's the reading of the scripture. And as we look at this amazing passage of scripture, we can see that keeping promises with regard to brotherhood is very, very valuable in the eyes of Almighty God. So the priests who were there with the ark in the middle of the Jordan River, their obedience and their faith were waiting for other people to cross. Amazing that their sense was not in a panic. They were not in a hurry. They were not to try to get across before the water might come down. They didn't fear that because the presence of God made, meant more to them than the threat of external circumstances. The presence of God meant more to them than the threat of external circumstances. People panic, and people keep their eyes on the circumstances. Well, they're not. They're all keeping their eyes on the ark. Not because it was a beautiful furniture, but because it represented the presence of Almighty God in their lives. Until everything done by the people, and this is God's plan, not only for the nation of Israel, as they go across the Jordan River on dry ground, but it's the way God even functions with the church. He does not want the professionals to do it all. It is a people, grassroots, part of the body of Christ, functioning. It's one of the great things that every good local church will do when everyone realizes, I go to this church not because of the, prof the professionals on the platform. I go to this church because God has given me a ministry here in the community that he wants me to be a part of. That's God's plan. It always has been. Old Testament, New Testament, for all of us as we watch it happening here. This is what the people did. Here in this passage of Scripture, too, the ark uh, was, was there, but it came to the side where, while the people watched. They were keeping an eye on, on the ark. Again, the presence of God was very, very significant in all of their lives. When these uh, two and a half tribes crossed over before the nation of Israel, they were keeping a promise. Again, a great risk and peril to themselves because they had been given the instruction, you could settle here if you want to, but just make sure you fulfill your obligation to your brothers. Stand with them side by side with your arms so that you could help them win the land 
that God has promised them. Keeping promises with courage. One of the great responsibilities that we can have as guys is if we can think through whatever it is in our spirit where God has reminded us, you know, you made that promise to your wife, you made that promise to your kids, you made that promise to your best friend, you made that promise to your boss, you made that promise to your coworker, and we've reneged on it. Go back, think through it, and just fulfill our promise. It's a great way to be a kind of man of God that God will use. Because those thoughts don't just pop into our mind by accident. God is reminding us of the things that we need to do. 40,000 of these men armed for battle crossed over the, over the Jordan River because they wanted, as warriors, to do what they had been called to do. Warriors, that's what we do. Warriors' heart, that's what we call this. We aren't here just to learn and hide. We are here to take initiative to be an influence in the lives of other people with all the courage that's necessary to make it happen. Follow-through is a big part of what it means to be a person who's taking the initiative with regard to spiritual things. And here the, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. This is not bad. It's not that some, it's unfair that some people should get more recognition. That's not the issue. But when leadership is involved for the body or for the group of people that belong to Almighty God, the leader should be revered. Not because of the position they hold, but because this is God's blessing on the community and the group of people who are involved. God honors his chosen leader. So Joshua commanded, uh, and the priests came up out of the, out of the river, God's will is in action. When we watch it occur, it's one of those amazing things. So probably every one of us is here who, who watched the A-Team, either on television or in the movie. We, we remember when Hannibal says right there at the end, after he's done not just what he's planned, but done more than half because of serendipitous action, flexibility, spontaneous reaction. He stands there and smiles with his hands on his hips. He says, I love it when a plan comes together. Well, that's a great statement because all guys can relate to that. But it's, it's a part of the scriptures too. Here in Joshua 4, God's plan comes together. Two and a half million Jews doing exactly what God wanted them to do. Priests standing there in the, in, in the middle of the river on dry ground and waiting until all those people passed. They didn't panic. They didn't think about themselves. All these people honoring and revering Joshua like they had revered Moses just at the beginning of Joshua's career of leadership. It is phenomenal when you think about all the pieces coming together just like they should. This is follow-through in God's biggest way. One of the things that's amazing about this particular miracle is here at the end, no sooner had they set, feet, set their feet on dry ground that the waters of the Jordan ran at flood stage just as before. When the waters came back, that was as big a part of the miracle is God drying up the ground and stopping the water so far upstream from where the Jews are trying to cross. Bringing the river back to flood stage, reminding them of what God had actually accomplished so they can get to the other side of the Jordan River. Natural, normal circumstances. Returning to their complicated, overwhelming, impossible human state. That was part of the miracle as well. Now, if you were to think about um, going down the streets of, of uh, Houston and taking an interview of people and say, hey, no, no pressure, but 
Just off the top of your head, can you name a biblical miracle? And when people have done that, the top miracles, the top ten miracles that people know of the Bible, uh, these are what those top miracles are. The top one that everyone says is, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The second miracle that everyone seems to remember is the feeding of the 5,000. And third after that is the parting of the Red Sea. Amazing. And a phenomenal is the water turning to wine, maybe because people sort of think they'd like to have been there. And then Jesus calming the storm is a big deal. Maybe they all heard it in Sunday school or something. Daniel and the lion's in. Big deal as far as people remember it. These are non-Christians, just people on the street. Miracles of the Bible that they remember. Lazarus being raised from the dead. Jesus walking on the water. The leper being healed. And then the sun standing still. But in the top ten, the miracle that God gives in his inspired word of equality, the crossing of the Red Sea, that is third in human popularity isn't even on the list. And that's the one that we are studying here. The crossing of the River Jordan in God's eyes for the nation of Israel was equal to the crossing of the Red Sea. Here's uh, this whole lesson here is on teachable moments. I don't know if you can see this picture, but this is a bunch of guys. Oh, we got to have music while we swim. So they, hey, my, my flip-flops, they float. So they put this electrical cord from the side of the pool into the water on top of the floating flip-flops into this amazing electrical situation. They put the table right in the middle of the water and they get in the water and they enjoy their amazing, amazing, thoughtfully creative way to bring music to their relaxation. Well, I don't know about you, but this is a very teachable moment. Maybe when you're with them in the hospital when they're trying to be healed... But sometimes when God's guys realize, well, maybe I was stupid. It wasn't so creative after all. So this is one of those teachable moments in this amazing passage of Scripture. And, and the Bible says, as, as, as God deals with the nation of Israel, when your descendants ask, and they will, what do these stones mean? Be ready for that teachable moment when that inquiry comes. During this Christmas season, you might be running across people in your office, in your in your neighborhood, in your family gatherings, they might be going through a really tough time and they'll see you and they say, why is it that you always seem to be at peace? If they make that inquiry, that is a teachable moment and don't let it pass. Because out of the barricade of all the, all of the, the objections that people put up, they're so frustrated with the circumstances in life they have, they bring those down and they look at you and they ask. And we not only want to wait for those opportunities and make sure we see them and take advantage when they come, but we want to be the kinds of individuals who are also going to say that God is the one who's going to be on my lips when I interact with the lives of people. We should be the kinds of individuals who have that tremendous sense of privilege of telling people what God has done for us. When Yvonne and I had our three kids, and they were four, six, eight years old, I had this hunger and passion to pursue continuing education, sought really good counsel from those who had been influential in my life. And after doing all the research I could, we decided to leave Oregon where we had a ministry for 10 years since we graduated from seminary. And we went, went over to Scotland to the University of Aberdeen so I can do some studying. And you know, I, I know that as a, as a husband and as a father, that was kind of crazy. I mean, we were in the ministry. We didn't have much money. We sold everything we could, 
and kind of put our little nest egg together and to buy five tickets. One-way tickets are so expensive, but that's what we ended up doing. Did all my research on living in the United Kingdom, realized that I was now going to be considered an alien for as long as I was there in that country, so I couldn't hold a job. And before I, before they would even let me enroll in the university, I had to pay my first semester's in, uh, tuition up front. And, of course, our, our little home that we got, a little modest uh, little place with one bathroom and uh, two and a half bedrooms, and it was uh, just just fun. It was nice because we had never been so cold in my whole life when we huddled together. It kind of helped keep the heating bill down. But when we lived there, they also wanted first and last month's rent with also a security deposit. And then uh, I had to get a car, and I got a used car, and I had to pay all that up front. And, man, our, our little nest egg of money to go to a foreign country with my family where I couldn't work, boy, it dwindled down really fast. And after we had been there for probably just over a month, I remember thinking as I watched our finances go down and down and down, uh, I was thinking, oh, no, we're really going to run into a mess here. And I, and I didn't want to go and beg my relatives and beg my friends. So we just prayed and said, God, you know, we're getting desperate here. And they just got news that uh, on this Friday is the last day we're going to get mail because the Royal Post is going to go on strike on Monday. So this day, Friday, would be the only day we would get mail. So I remember leaving my office because I was so distracted, and I was thinking, man, oh, man, if I can't provide for my family, I'm worse than an infidel. So I went to the bank, and I thought, well, maybe there's a miracle. I put my card in and, and, and tried to withdraw, and then that, those amazing words come across on the screen, insufficient funds. <laughs> and I tell you, you, your heart just sinks. I mean, you try to believe, you try to have faith. And I didn't even have uh, the, the, the courage to use what money I had to take the bus home, so I walked home. And I got home, and I was just so discouraged. On the way home, going up those hills in Scotland, I was thinking, okay, my last-ditch effort, which I kept in my mind, was I was going to write an ad and post it on the, sem- on the university board and sell our car, because then I can get enough for four tickets to send the kids home with Yvonne to get the United States. And I'd find a way to get a part-time job or something so I can get back home to the United States and come home in total shame. And I, I remember that that's an awful, awful feeling. And I thought, well, I'll get home in time for the last mail delivery. So I was home, and Yvonne could see I was discouraged. I sat down in the chair. I said, honey, I don't know what to do. We're out of money, and we hardly have anything in our cupboards. And I, I just remember that it's just an awful, awful feeling. And I said, I, I hope that maybe God could do something and bring something through our last postal delivery. And the postman came, and with excitement and thinking, okay, God's going to do something. And I went to the door, collected the mail, thanked the postperson, said, hey, hope the strike isn't too long. And I looked through the mail, and there, were, there was no, no money. And I sat down in the chair discouraged again. And I remember my wife uh, putting her hands on the, the easy chair, and she looked at me, and she says, Bruce, God would not have brought us all the way over here just so that we would fail. I said, yeah, 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 I know. I preached that sermon before we left the United States. I just don't want to hear it again. I don't want to hear it right now. And she, she left me, and she was playing with the kids, and kids didn't know what was going on. And it was one of those awful moments. And then Yvonne says, hey, look, the Federal Express truck just rolled up. I said, yeah, God, good for you. I knew this would happen. God is good. So I went to the door, and the Federal Express gave us a nice package, and Oh, this is really cool. And 
thanked uh, thanked her and said, "Hey, thank you very much." And we brought it in, and the kids helped me tear it open. And a very dear friend of ours had sent us all these down coats because they had heard that Scotland was really cold. The kids all tried on their coat. Yvonne had a coat. I had a coat, but I didn't try it on because I was looking in the box for some money, and there was none. And I tell you, when you go up and down, up and down, up and down, and I honestly, I don't know if I've ever felt lower as a human being and as a guy at that moment. And my wife could just tell how awful it was. I don't know how long we sat there, but it seemed like forever, but it was probably just maybe 30 minutes or something. And of all things, the same federal truck that had come came back. And she walked up. I didn't see she had a package, so I answered the door. She says, oh, I'm really sorry. Uh, you also had this envelope that got slipped in between some boxes. Uh, sorry about that. So she handed it to me, and I looked at this envelope, and Yvonne and I looked at each other. We opened it up, and a wonderful friend and sent us enough money for the next five months. We have in our home a little matchbox toy of a federal truck, Federal Express truck. And I don't know how many times we've had people at our home, and they say, hey, you like Federal Express? They see the little truck there, and we just say, no, it's not that Federal Express is so great, but this reminds us of something that God has done. And I don't know how many times when they ask about the Federal Express truck toy, and we share with them the story, somehow God has blessed that telling of that story over and over and over again. People realize that God is bigger and more more amazing than any of the circumstances we ever feel. This Christmas, somebody in this room will probably have somebody at work, a relative or some friend, that we really want to know, tell them about Jesus Christ. They will ask a question, why is it that you seem to be so joyful? Why is it Christmas means so much to you? And at that teachable moment, just like John Joshua 4, that's when we get a chance to tell them about what's most important to us, about living this life with Jesus Christ at the center of it. Are you ready to tell someone when they ask in a teachable moment in their life to be God's wonderful investment supernaturally in their lives? That's what our story is about today. That's what our lesson is about. Have a great time in your table talk time. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.